There's a bit of a buzz this winter in Norway, and his name is Ben Ogden. This episode of Threshold is brought to you by Solomon. Solomon has committed to a responsible tomorrow by refocusing the entire company and its operations to create responsible products with a smaller footprint on the environment. Solomon's goal is to drive change within our communities by creating more inclusive outdoor experiences. At the same time, they are committed to conducting their business responsibly while delivering high-performing products with the most innovative designs. You can enjoy winter knowing that Solomon is taking steps to preserve that winter for you to enjoy. When we all act responsibly, tomorrow is yours. Check out Solomon's full line of skis, boots, clothing, and accessories at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. Ben Ogden is a known entity in the United States ski world. His sister, former U.S. ski teamer Catherine, made most of America aware of the surname over the course of the last decade. Ben, on the other hand, meanwhile, earned two gold and one silver medal at the Junior World Championships relays, as well as five individual top 10 finishes over those three years. So it wasn't like Ben Ogden wasn't a big deal. But now, he really is. And here's why. In a breakout season, Ben Ogden has conquered period one and his first tour to ski in which he finished the U.S. men's best 11th place. He now sits as the ninth best ranked skier in the FIS Cross Country World Cup. Let's put that into some perspective because let's face it, Keegan Randall and Jesse Diggins have warped the sense of our own competitive history in this sport with all this winning they've been doing, and we've become accustomed to it. So we tend to forget about the men. But for the U.S. men's team, Ben Ogden is blazing a trail this winter. The last time the U.S. men's team had anyone ranked higher than ninth was Andy Newell, who was ranked in fourth November 27, 2015, after finishing fourth in the opening race of the 2015-2016 season. Just to make that crystal clear, he was fourth overall standings after one race. He survived to stay in ninth overall after the next day's competition before being buried in the rankings as the distance races kicked into high gear after that. So that was November 28, 2015, the last time an American man had been ranked in the top 10 in the world, off of only two races that season so far. Chris Freeman, on the other hand, was 10th ranked on the 4th of December in 2010 after three races, the best ranking by an American man beyond the first stop on a World Cup season. At the time of this interview, Ben Ogden's 9th place ranking comes after scoring 19 races of this World Cup season. That's new territory for the men's U.S. ski team in the modern era. You have to go back to the early 1980s in the infancy of the FIS World Cup to the invention of skating and to the U.S. ski team of Jimmy, Simi, Timmy, and Koki, that's Jim Galanis, Dan Simino, Tim Caldwell, and Bill Koch, the golden era of men's U.S. cross-country skiing, to find anything to compare with Ben Ogden's 2023 World Cup campaign so far. But let's call a spade a spade. The early 1980s and 2023 really aren't even comparable. It doesn't diminish the accolades of those skiers from the 1980s, but the sport is so complex by comparison now. Two fully developed techniques, sprinting and distance, and a behemoth of necessary race support just to be, let alone stay, competitive over 19 races in a season. That early 1980s U.S. men's ski team that delivered the 1982 World Cup overall title in the form of Bill Koch and his unprecedented use of the marathon skate technique set a level the U.S. men's ski team has yet to live up to really, until this year and Ben Ogden. So, we wanted to highlight this young man in the ninth spot in the world 
at roughly the halfway mark of the 2023 World Cup season in a way that Norwegian fans might celebrate. We talked with Ben about his breakout World Cup season from his hotel in France, where he was preparing to rejoin the World Cup after a post-tour to ski break back home in Vermont. Ben, we're thrilled, and welcome to Threshold. All right, <clears throat> off we go. Cool, man. All right, well, thanks for joining us uh, from France, of, of all places. So, uh, you know, new venue, La, La Russa. How is the venue and how is the snow there? Yeah, it is a new venue. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of venues are new to me. Yeah. Uh, but this one, it turns out, is new to the uh, new to the World Cup. So yeah. the snow here has been great. And, uh, you know, the courses are, are different, definitely, especially the distance course. And I think mm -hmm. that we'll see some interesting racing this weekend. I'm, I'm personally excited for it. I think that, you know... It, uh, it it brings some slightly different challenges, so right. yeah, I think it's going to be good. But it's it's nice here. Cool. And uh, so before we get started, I just want to point out that you were recently a guest on your SMST two and US ski teammate Helena Sonnison's podcast Extra Blue. So yep. I think it, it dropped like mid, like January fourth or fifth or something like that. So mm -hmm. pretty recently, and, and she did a really great job with you. I mean, I was kind of already trying to. I want to get you in after the tour to ski anyway, and she kind of beat me to the punch because mm -hmm. she's got access <laughs> to you. But I, mm -hmm. I just want our listeners to know that they can catch that that extra blue podcast with Elena Sonis, and it's really great. And pointing yep. that out, two things: I want to help Elena get an audience as well with her podcast because it deserves it. She does a great job with it, and I also want to avoid redundancy uh, with recent content about Ben Ogden. So if if I'm not asking Ben Ogden questions that you want to hear, they probably already covered with extra blue with Elena Sonis. So go to go check that out. So, so I'm going to get. to... I'm going to, I'm going to mostly sidestep asking the same or two similar questions that she asked you. And I think there's plenty still uncovered here, um, on, for my podcast, for our podcast to the threshold. But I do want to start with some background on your family and skiing. I met your dad last mm -hmm. week at the world university games in Lake Placid, and we had some great conversations and that really kind of opened my eyes to how you may have formed your worldview. So I want to go, I want to go there first. Your family is a ski family, and more specifically, they are a Vermont ski family. So looking back on your childhood and adolescence, can you give us a feeling of how skiing, and not necessarily ski racing, but skiing, has shaped you, and particularly your identity as a Vermonter? Yeah, great, great question. And uh, yeah, I would say that, I mean, growing up in, in Southern Vermont, um, you know, skiing, cross-country skiing was just, you know, a lot of what people did and, and what like kids were doing after school and stuff. So, you know, a lot of that was driven by, you know, my, my dad and, you know, people older like Sperry Caldwell and, and whatnot, who sort of like make that part of the world what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a long time growing up, you know, I didn't, we didn't, I mean, we raced and we did the boat boat league and everything, but that wasn't the focus, you know, we just would go to ski practice and play games and, you know, build jumps and stuff. And, and it was just like, it was the very best way to, uh, to like enjoy winter and, uh, you know, have a fun time in the, in that part of the world. So that was a big part of like, you know, my evolution as an, as an athlete. And, and of course, like there was a lot of racers from that part of the world, like Sophie, uh, Andy and, and whatnot. Um, so they made a bit, made a big contribution too, but that wasn't until later, you know, first off, it just started as being like just entertainment after school and stuff. Yeah. So, so being a ski family in Vermont, as opposed to say Minnesota or Alaska or even uh -huh. Norway, or maybe even Germany, you've been to all the, or you at least have teammates from those places if you haven't been there. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, do you think it's being being in Vermont has that has that shaped you uniquely compared to other places? I mean, you you know, what do you think based on the people that you've seen come from other places, ski races that you're now rubbing shoulders with around the world? What what about Vermont makes you makes your approach maybe a little bit different than somebody from Norway or from Minnesota? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I don't know, and I think that like the answer to that question sort of changes and you, you realize it almost like with each passing day these right. days, you know, like I, I, yeah. I almost, it, it's not like we all came out together on the world cup and, you know, shared what our childhood was like, right. well, you know, you, as the better, the better you get to know people, the more you start to learn a little bit about what, what shaped them to be the way they are and what shaped you to be the way that you are. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, for me, I would say that, <laughs> you know, that there are technical things that I think growing up pushed me in one way or another, like with technique and classic versus skate and stuff like that. But, you know, one just sort of overarching thing that I, you know, that I take uh, that I used to take for granted, but I don't really anymore was just like the, the true love for skiing that, you know, you sort of develop in, in that part of the world. Like right. we would go, you know, we'd go to Bill Coke's house and ski on his little homemade classic tracks all through the woods. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, all over his jumps and stuff. And, you know, yeah. he he had a profound ability to, like, sort of teach you or teach kids and, and whoever he would go skiing with him. Just just to love, you know, the the feeling of being on cross-country skis. And, you know, you get I get that to this day when you're skiing on a, like, you know, complex technical World Cup course. You know, you, you call upon those those old days, like, screaming through the woods at, at Bill Combs' yeah. house or, you know, at Wild Wings. Where the trails were, you know, the, the conditions were far from uh, proper, you know, groove, right. no piston bowling, yeah. nothing like that, you know. And you just got to do whatever you can to stay on your feet. And like, yeah. as much as the World yeah. Cup has, you know, the World Cup has perfect, 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 perfect grooming and all this right. stuff. But, you know, it falls apart and it gets soft and the corners get sketchy. And, For sure. you know, you'd be surprised how often it devolves to just like whoever can stay on their feet. So I think yeah. that one, you know one advantage that I had from, from growing up is just, you know, not my ability to sort of like, I don't know, ski the technical stuff and the corners yeah. and, and all that from, from the old days, just like seeing around the woods. So. <laughs> well, I think growing up skiing at Bill Coke's on Bill Coke's trail is probably a pretty big, pretty big advantage too. I mean, I don't know if you know of this, course. but there's a, there's a, there's, you've probably seen it, but maybe, I don't know if you have, but like, there was a lot of media when I was a kid and you know, I'm probably 15, 20 years younger than Bill, but there was a video that Rosinell put out like in like 79 mm-hmm. or 80 where he's like running through the fields. And I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Norway was putting out perfect technique videos of Odvar Bro and, and Rosinell right. does the thing on Bill Cove, like jumping his skis over fences and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, did, were you aware of that video? And, and is that kind of the stuff that he had you guys doing at his place? Yeah, it's funny because I uh, I'd never seen that video or heard heard of it until <clears throat> last year at some point on the World Cup, like in the heat of Olympic qualification stress and all that crap. I stumbled upon that one, and it just like I was lying. I remember I was lying in my bed in Lillehammer or something like that on mm-hmm. period one, and I was watching it. And I just was like, oh my god! And I immediately sent it to the whole U- U.S. team group chat. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone else. I think everyone was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I think it struck me so hard because that was exactly yeah. what, I mean, that was what 
that's what Bill Cope does. And that was what we <laughs> did growing up. I mean, yeah. it was just so perfect. Yeah. And it was cool because it just totally reminded me like what, what it's all about. And totally. that, that video, I mean, if, if people listening, you know, just, you can just search up Bill Cope, Rodney Nolan, it'll come up and it's called the love of skiing or something that's like what that. It was. Yeah. Just, that's the one. Yeah. 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 I mean, it I love is that fabulous. Video. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what's really cool about that too, is that, is that, you know, you're on a, you think about like all the training and the physical, the physicality, mm-hmm. the, the you, you need to do all that stuff. Like you need to train, of course. you need to train a lot. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool about the modern, like one thing I've noticed about you, like in, and, and new, Andy Newell had a lot of this too, is just kind of like your, your cat sense in, in a World Cup sprint. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you're getting past, if you want to get past the quarterfinals, you have to be right. cat-like. You have to like be comfortable going very hard and and being on edge and and, and absolutely and and I think that 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 video in, lodged in my mind and the fact that you just described what you did growing up like that that connects like if you think about what you're doing yeah. right now that connects and and I think that was a really absolutely. cool thing yeah yeah so, no, so that's then, cool so then let's look at like let's let's connect that little piece to like what it takes that training period piece of it the professionality piece of it so you know you're an SMST two and a lot of your teammates are on it and you've all developed on that so. If you didn't have SMS Team 2 and the current team and staff they have, do you think you could have found your way to where you are today in another setting? That's a good question. I um, I would I would say probably not for for a couple of reasons. I think I, I could have, you know, if I was bound and determined, but, I you know, I don't think I would have been bound and determined. I think that, <laughs> like, a lot of the inspiration and, you know, the the... the yeah, I guess we'll just say the inspiration com- came from SMST two and and the fact that oh, yeah. Sveri was so so big about bringing all these all this talent back to the you know to the Southern Vermont area mm-hmm. for the summertime and you know I got to talk with Newell and and you know he he told me about how he was living the life in Europe yeah. racing the World Cup and all this stuff and uh, Sophie and you know Simi and that whole group that was that was like. So yeah, in the early in the early stages, it was just like pure inspiration, and and you know that was such a dream of mine was to sort of do what they do because they yeah. just had this swagger, you know. Yeah. I never wanted to be like them. Yeah. And then of course, you know, if we talk about the training piece, like I was so I was so lucky because in you know in mid high school when I started to you know show some some decent potential, um, I got to jump in training sessions with uh, with that squad, and you know. Like they were, they were so much more professional than me at the time, and, and they sort of like redefined, redefined what, you know, what it means to, or you know, the the work necessary to For sure. to do what they did, what yeah. they were doing. Um, and I think without that, you know, I, I would have had a hard time, sort of like understanding just all on my own. You know, I think that I, a lot of people around have that. A lot of people my age have. You had a group of people whom they looked up to and they were able to train with at a young age. Right. Um, you know, people all have their different routes, but for me, definitely that that was a crucial aspect of, of yeah. sort of my up- upbringing. Um, yeah. So competitively speaking, <clears throat> this sport has not been kind to our country at the highest level in the past. I, <laughs> I think we could go so far as to say it may have given many athletes before you a chip on their shoulder at best and an outright sense of right. impossibility at worst. This is embedded yeah. in the coaches who've coached you and administrators who organize your ski racing. They've all been part of that. That I mean, I'm there as well. 
So do you ever recollect at any point in your development in which you really noticed that history rubbing off on you as you got into ski racing at a higher and higher levels? The history of, of like not, no, of not performing. I mean, you're so young yeah, that, that yeah. like, but my point is, is that you've had Simi and Keegan and Jesse and those people, but yeah. still the people who have been coaching you, we all come from that era where we, where we weren't right. good. Have you, have you ever sensed that in Sveri? Like, do you, do you, do you get a sense of that? And, and did you ever really, I mean, has it figured into yeah, your it's consciousness? So good. That's a good question. I mean, it's definitely. It's definitely been part of our or my consciousness, yeah. but mostly, mostly in a in a positive way. You know, yeah. it's been the like, you know, we got the resources, we got what it takes, but like we've never done it. So like, let's go out and do it. You know, yeah, yeah. A little bit of that, like you know, when I was young, going to junior worlds and whatnot. You know, the, the like success was not expected, but it was. You know that what that was where the goals lied. You know, right. and I think that. I think that if there was too much of that, like historic not success, uh, uh, mindset, then it will, success would not have been the, the goals would not have been you know at, at the level that they were. Right. So, and it, and I think we were lucky because like you know, it, you know when you're uh, my, now that I'm 20 or whatever, I can look back over you know a long history of U.S. skiing. But when I was 12. I just looked at what was happening right then, you know. Yeah, I think you shoot about what happened ten years or five years earlier, yeah. right? We, and you know, when I was twelve, we got Jesse. Yeah. You know, Jesse making it happen in world champs, Keegan yeah. winning the World Cup sprint overall. I mean, you know, they were they were doing some legit stuff, and it wasn't it wasn't like we had to, you know, for us at that level, it didn't take a history of success to prove that it was possible. You know. Yeah. All it took was one. You know, you just see like, oh, Jesse did it, Freeman did it, and yeah. or at uh, yeah, at uh, junior worlds, like there's no reason why we can't do it. And, and I think that like, honestly, the whole, like the U S has historically bad is just like so motivating for, for our yeah. group, which is cool because it, it, it easily could have been twisted just a little bit in the rock, you know, CL could have been in unbalanced and we could have sort of gone over expecting to get our asses kicked, you know? So yeah. Solomon has been an outdoor industry leader for nearly 75 years and they see action as the way to continue to lead in the modern world. That requires Solomon to lead in sustainability. As a company facing all the modern challenges to the natural environment in which we all play, Solomon has a renewed passion to act as a catalyst, connecting the innovative power of the people of Solomon, partners, innovators, designers, and athletes to co-create the most responsibly performant products and businesses. Solomon is committed to transform people into agents of positive change, knowing when we help preserve the outdoor spaces that touch your soul, you can feel good about the products you use in the outdoors. You can find out more about Solomon's full lines of outdoor gear, clothing, and accessories, and discover their commitment to sustainability at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. I mean, yeah. I, I think you're a new generation. I mean, I, I think that you're the first generation of skiing in which you've grown up in the entirety of your development. You've had people from the United States who are winning. Uh, you know, you yeah, said, exactly. You, you said Keegan and Jesse are influences in your belief that American skiers can of win. Island. And you've had, you personally actually grew up around Sidney Hamilton and Andy Newell. And, 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 and so my point is after this tour to ski in early January and the, and still at this time that we're recording this, you are currently ranked ninth in the FIS World Cup standings for men's, men's skiing. Yeah. The last time, I'm just to put this in perspective for you, and I don't know if you've thought about this much or looked it up, but I did. 
The last time an American male was ranked that high or higher was Andy Newell in 2015 after just one race. He finished fourth in the opening World Cup, so he was ranked fourth. But then after two races, yeah. he was ranked tenth. You're okay. ninth. You're ninth. That was 2015. Chris Freeman did, was was ranked ninth. Was ranked tenth after three races in 2010, or tw- the 2010-2011 season. But wow. you're ranked ninth after 19 scored races. You are also the current under 23 world leader in the world rankings. You you have had an amazing period one, and have kept it going through the tour in period two. So much so that you go right, you, you go so much so that you go right for anyone to the top ten in the world. Any any sport at any period at any time in a period of two months. So, of all the U.S. skiers, in two months, nobody has ever been ranked as high as you until we go back to probably Koki. Yeah, okay? of course. So, where did that mojo come from this year? That, that <laughs> that's all I want to know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question for sure, and I and I haven't thought about it too too much, <laughs> but you know, I think that there's a there's a handful of things going on this year for sure that have contributed to that, and uh, you know, I I certainly have have had some had some great races, but I also have been I've just raced everything, and and that helped for yeah. sure, and um, you know, I I don't know, I'm not sure I have a uh, I'm not sure I have a great answer for you, you know, I think that us. You know, this summer I had a, had like some distinct goals after last year, and uh, right, I think I did a decent job executing for sure. But right. also, just like you know, I think I was just lucky to, or not lucky, but I, you know, I was able to just sort of adapt to the to the World Cup ceiling a bit. You know, last year I was a little, I was a yeah. little wide eyed, and and I was still kind of learning. But I think that you know, again, after like you know, being able to talk with so many people who have, who have had success before me, like it just, you know, it's, it, it's a much more comfortable feeling right. circuit this year. Um, and I don't know, that could be because I've been, you know, having some more success and it could be because of, I've done it for a bit longer, but you know, now I approach a world cup and I, you know, and I, I have confidence that I can, you know, contend. Whereas last year, especially in the distance races that I was, you know, had some confidence that I maybe couldn't contend. So, right. Um, right. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, there's a new scoring system this year too, which, which, uh, has been, has been good to me with, uh, you know, benefiting those who race everything decently well, sprint and distance. So that's been pretty fun. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to talk about in this transition to your BB to it. So you've accomplished some, some big moments in sprints, but you're pulling significant points from the distance events this year as well. If the, the, the stats are. You have 297 points sprinting and ranks you ninth in sprint standings. It's the same rank as you have in the overall. And But you also have 201 points in distance ra- and rank 24th in distance skiing. So you're ro- you're pulling roughly 40% of your points from distance races this year. And the FIST World Cup has, has gone to 10K and 20K distances. Do you it, feel that new distance, the new, new distance race distances are a factor in your World Cup ranking this year, that you're pulling 40% of your distance points from a 10K and 20K? Do, do you think that that's a manifestation of where your strengths lie that would you be doing worse at 15k classic than you're doing a 10k classic for example what do you think i uh yeah i actually do i think that a 10k is definitely good for me yeah um on the world cup uh just with where my development is i think that like 10k classic was the first the first race of period one that i sort of you know i was in the teens or something and and that was where i was like all right you know now i'm starting to get a little bit of momentum so that that was nice um yeah, and I, I honestly do. I think that, I mean, and it's hard to say, you know, 
it's hard to differentiate feeling distance race feelings this year from from last year when it could have been so many different things that contribute to it right like the shape right. you know the shape and and all and all that stuff but you know i i get the impression that would it be just 15k after 15k after 15k uh, last year and uh, in yeah. previous years like the the people who have been on the world cup for a long time just got so good at that distance you know Right. And it's just like the, the pacing was just like locked in every single time right. and, and that sort of stuff. And and I think that like, I would be surprised if, it, if an element of it was just the, the difference, you know, just right. changing it, be it to my strength or to someone else's or right. to nobody's strength, just the change yeah. puts everybody on their heels just a tiny bit. And it, and it sort yeah. of like makes it into a race again, which like, I personally think for so many reasons, skiing should should do that and just like have a variety of different distances but right you know we went from one distance to two so it's not right. like we're you know going crazy but i do think that just changing it up a tiny bit and like you know even the pacing between a 10k and a 15k is significantly different on the it world is. cup you know and, you can and, see it you um, can see it it's, yeah. it's a very exciting event like i think the men's 10ks totally. they're like a 5k is almost ridiculously tight because it's almost a sprint again right but a 10k yep. is like really playing that border between endurance exactly. sport and yes. racing and sprinting and you have that mm -hmm. and it's yeah. against the clock which is really cool totally yeah. yeah and it's cool because i mean almost every 10 day this year it's been the classic like you know s coach split where they right. say five seconds gets you 10 10 spots higher you know and i think that <laughs> yeah. that is again a place where i excel because you know yeah. I, you know you can you're like all right i got a, i got 2k left in this race like let's make it happen let's like really hammer up this hill or whatever it may be so you know that that i think is, is crucial and then with the 20k piece of it too i mean it's the same thing but you know the, the flip side where right you know it's significantly different pacing than a 15k all of a sudden right you know, like four right. laps around four laps around the davos 5k is yeah that's significant you know that's verging yeah, you can on almost like, use a feed yeah i mean yeah exactly feed. totally yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely so you know again i think I don't know. I think it just it, it it did change it just enough to where you know people like me are are much more of a contender. And I think honestly, I I think that if it had been another season full of fifteen Ks, my situation would be looking a lot different. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. So if you could just look back on the season, if you could so far, if you could put your finger on the most important corner you've turned as a ski racer, what would it be? So far this season, um, this season, yeah. Let me, th yeah. Because you've turned a corner, there's um, no doubt about it. Like, just look at the stats. Yeah, I mean, definitely. The definitely. Just said. So, what, yeah. what, if you had to put your finger on it, what, what is it? I think it was, um, I have to remember, but I think it was the Bite of Stolen um, 10K Classic. Yeah. Which, well, the Bite of Stolen Weekend in general, actually. Uh -huh. And I believe that was, the, well, that was the second weekend, right? Yeah. Uh, it went Ruka third Bido. Uh, yeah. No, it was, yeah, Ruka, it was. It was Ruka, Ruka Bido. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> third yeah, weekend. so it was definitely... It was definitely uh, maybe Lillehammer for sprinting and Bido for right. distance because in the sprint in Lillehammer, I just like, you know, I don't know. I, it wasn't like I had a killer race plan. It wasn't like I was felt feeling all that good, but I just like felt like I was effortlessly able to sneak out of the quarterfinal, which had not been yeah. the previous case for me. Um, and that gave me a lot of confidence. And then Bido still on again, I was able to sneak out of the quarterfinal and be like right there for the uh for the final um and then the distance race i just there's a 10k class that gym i think i was 19th or something and uh 
yeah, that was one of those ones where I just I, I, I took a lot of confidence out of that. And it was after it was after three races in Ruka, three races in Lillehammer, and one race in Bido. And that was like, okay, you know, now it was one of those moments as an athlete where you you start to feel like an athlete. You know, you've raced so much, you're tired, but you went out there and you like made it uh-huh. happen. And you know, I had a, had had one of my better, my probably my best workup distance race ever to to date that that day. And it was under significant load, you know, and like that that was yeah. that felt really good and gave me a lot of confidence in the tour and for the rest of period one. So I would Man. say that was a, a big moment for sure. Cool. So how, how yeah. do you how do you personally adapt to a long winter on the road in foreign countries? You know, what are some of the emotional, physical, and psychological challenges that you personally face about this lifestyle? And 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 how do you how do you take care of that to be ready for the stress of racing in in that environment? Yeah, absolutely. Great great question. And uh, you know, I think really the the answer to that question won't come for a couple of years for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's a it's something that I I've been working on and I think a lot about and a lot of us here talk about it. Us right. young guys who haven't been doing it. You know, like Jesse and Rosie are, are locked in and they, they know exactly what they need and right. they're pros, but we're we're still trying to find our way a little bit. And but there are challenges, you know, like you there are days when, you know, over Christmas or something when it's been a long time since you raced and, and You've been here for a while, away from everybody, yeah. living out of a suitcase, and you're just like, "Oh my god, this is <laughs> this is brutal," you know. And the, yeah. you know, it's come like I spent Christmas in Davos. It was beautiful. It was yeah. bluebird day every day, and and you know, still, you just think of it, and uh, just so like, oh, what a, you know, what sacrifice. But then you know, like for me, again, luckily, the racing is just in, makes it all a lot easier, you know. Like yeah. the, the the hardest days are the ones you know the mondays and the tuesdays when you know it you don't you're not like fixating on the racing or anything like that you're just sort of like yeah going through the motions that or like the the christmas times and the breaks so like you know with with the constant racing it gives you purpose and it gives you you know something to something to think about um and you know i'm lucky to have a you know relatively like mild approach to racing it's not something i don't get super nervous or anything like that um right so it's nice that that is one thing that definitely that, that i've noticed but you know there's having, having like all my friends here and all that you know yeah. and being such a tight tight group is, is helpful and i don't know you know there's other things doing school work is has been helpful it's funny i can't really pinprick exactly what like the emotion is that you've that like is uncomfortable about what we do, but there is definitely something. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all those things sort of help with it, but to date, I haven't had, I haven't had a huge problem with it, but I think yeah, when I go for the full, the full poll on the world cup, all, all three months or whatever, yeah. I think after that season, it'll come back to that question and um, I'll have something to say. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> do you speak any of the languages of, of the countries you, you ski in? I don't really. I yes. We I joke about that a lot. I, I I desperately want to know another language. It's just like something right. I want so badly. But I just right. the process. It's a lot of work. The processes <laughs> by which it takes to learn a language are something that's never interest interested me. It is a ton of work. Um, yeah. But trying, yeah. you know, I try and speak, you know, speak in French to the people here, and they just laugh. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, French is tough. 
Everything just died. No, it's brutal. Yeah. And I took French for like 10 years in elementary and high school and, you know. But anyhow, yeah, yeah I try to. And I think that like, I, I know that a lot of people do like do Duolingo and try and learn Norwegian or something. And I right. think that that could be a cool project, you know. Yeah. I think, I yeah. think that just like having having a little project on the side yeah. You know, it could be a good way to sort of deal with the the long year of trips. Um, yeah. For me lately, it's been schoolwork and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, or or whatever else. But I think maybe a little, which could be one for future years. <laughs> so you took a, you took a break recently from the World Cup to come home to the U.S. and ski a weekend, uh, a couple weekends in the carnivals in in the East Coast for your mm-hmm. University of Vermont Cannibals. Um, that this is kind of an overlap. This is one place in overlap that Elena's podcast kind of covered. But I think from the perspective of putting, I, I think it's important to to talk about this aspect Definitely. Um, because you're having a, a great season and and you and you came home. So what do you get from it coming is. back to the U.S. and knocking out a few NCAA college races as the number nine skier in the world? And so and, and is that critical to, to you right now? Do you think to keep succeeding at the high, highest level? Um. Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. I mean, you know, and it, and it piggybacks nicely off of what we were just talking about. For me, right. like coming home after the tour, you know, that was a really nice, just like decompress right. uh, opportunity. And the racing that I did was was more, you know, in some lens was more like recharging than it was right. draining. Um, just because it's a it's a new scene, and and you know, people people there take a different approach to uh to skiing that or to racing than people do on the world cup you know so so there's that yeah. aspect of it going home and just you know save my girlfriend and being you know just a normal person for a few yeah. weeks is just like such a treat yeah. and again like you know get back to me in in a few years and i'll have a better answer because yeah people will say people will say that you know you can't go home during the season because if it messes with the training or X, Y, and Z, and uh, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, I, again, I can't speak to that because it's my first time ever right. doing it, but, you know, it felt like the right thing to do, and, and I was happy that I did it. And then with the with the college stuff, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky it's a tricky spot. I'm Not a tricky spot, but it's an interesting spot I'm in where I'm, a, I'm in my fifth year at, at UVM. And, you know, I took on the opportunity of the fifth year with you know an eye towards my school life and stuff like that and you know NCAA skiing is something that comes along with it you know like it's this it's a deal you you know you get this awesome team to train with I get Patrick Weaver great coach and I get you know my school paid for and you know all this right. awesome you know financial support yeah but you got to race you know you got to you got to toss on the catamount suit and, and go represent and to me like yeah. even if even if I'm like sitting ninth in the world before I left and I'd be 50th in the world at the end of the World Cup season, like that's a that's a trade. That's like a no brainer to go home and, and represent the Catamounts, uh, you know. Cool. Because that was Jesse in the background, but uh, because yeah. like, you know, they, they've given me so much over the years and, and that team is, yeah. you know, is so full in the university. You know, I, I, I'm nothing but grateful. And if going home and, you know, having my picture taken and, in the catamount colors is, is important to them, then like uh, I'm doing it. No questions yeah. asked. So, cool. um, yeah, cool. definitely remains to be uh, seen. Answer, I personally right? don't think it's going to have, it's going to be a problem. I think yeah. it's going to be beneficial. What would you, 
what would you like us all to know about what's cl- like what happened this year for you? Like how, you know, how would you how would you let the U.S. ski team community know that what you're doing is possible that other people can do? Like what what would be the what would be the thing you'd say? Oh man, that's a that's a good question. I'll have to. I would probably say something. All right, let me think for a second. Um, I would probably say something to the to the tune of you know like. If you don't take yourself too seriously and you just, you know, you just ha- have fun with it and, and do everything that you can, but don't, don't dwell on the, on what you can't control, then, you know, you go, all your goals can and will be achieved. I mean, I don't know. That's some, something like that. That's, that's what I got. <laughs> yeah. Kind of what I try to, what I try to go by. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think that you found something for yourself? that maybe other people are seeking and, and it's, I mean, it's a struggle. Like, it's hard to find that confidence to go into a world cup and know you can be in the mix. Um, you know, how much of, how much of your success is belief and how much of it is just hard work or, or is it, is it just all an amalgamation of all that? You know, I mean, what turned the, you know, you, you turned a corner and just trying, we're trying to find that magic, that magic bullet. What yeah. do you think it is for you? Yeah. I, I think a lot of it for me is, is the belief aspect. You know, yeah. I, I think, I've always been a big believer in in the importance of of the, your head, yeah, and you know yeah. your your mental game, and I think that that's somewhere that this year I've excelled, yeah. and uh, and you know just like really believing in myself and 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 knowing that like my goals are achievable and and I can ski with anybody out there, you know. I think that like our friends at the at the Devin Kershaw podcast would would have you know pretty quickly that like I'm not the best technical skier out there and I'm you know yeah. certainly don't don't have the highest view of two max out there but yeah like there is something to be said for just like believing in yourself and, and knowing that's <laughs> possible because a lot of people don't believe in themselves you know and and they're totally. sort of, they sort of go out there expecting to expecting to not to not do it so you can get I mean, an instant leg can, up on anybody can... out there I mean, you can, yeah. you, can, you, can, you can plant me right in that category as an athlete 20 years ago or 30, 25 years ago. It's right. Like, you know, it's hard to go over there. And and I think like, you know, I think that this is a part, just just looking at you, I think this is, you know, it, it matters that you're not the first person to actually have a lot of success recently, but you are having right. su- sustained success. And I think that there's probably a, an element of belief in that. Like there has to be. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So speaking of belief. Absolutely. So speaking of believe the World Championships coming up, they starting playing East on February twenty third. What do you know of the venue and, and what are you focusing on there? I, you know, we've heard bits and pieces about about the venue just from uh, from coaches and different people. Um, but I don't know a lot. I mean, I don't think it's not a venue that hosts a lot of uh, cross country races. You know, there has been right. there was a World Cup there a few years ago, but that was before my time. And right. uh, yeah, I mean. You know my my hopes or you know my focus is there are certainly the uh, the classic sprint and right. the team sprint definitely right. after the uh, after the experience in Beijing it was that's been something that's been on uh, some of our minds for a while yeah. so that that's an exciting one um, yeah but then also the you know the fifteen k I think is is a good opportunity for yeah. for a lot of us so I, yeah. I definitely have my you know my my big goals in the the two sprints, but uh, you know, the whole the whole event is gonna be it's gonna be cool. I'm pretty excited for it. Cool. So just looking 
just looking ahead to your career, I mean, you're still pretty young. Do you have any mile markers ahead of you as a skier that you think are a minimum of what you feel you'll want to achieve before you'll feel like you did what you came here to do as a skier? Yeah, there are, at, at minimum, there certainly are. You know, yeah. I want to, I want to, I want on the World Cup podium. Absolutely. Um, sure. That's a, that's a big goal. Um, you know, I think World Cup, skiing a World Cup in the U.S., obviously, hopefully that'll come uh -huh. next year, but as, as 2020 taught us, we know not to count our chickens on that one until the, uh, yeah. until the race is over. But, um, you know, that's a big yeah. goal of mine and, and to just bring, you know, that, that comes along with bringing the, bringing the hype for skiing back to the U S and bam, you know, yeah. I think that would be really cool. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's a, there's an eye on the, the Italian Olympics. I think that, uh, yeah. that that's a good opportunity for, for my age group fellas yeah. and or people in general, you know, like we all, we went to Beijing and, and that was like a crazy experience for like a hundred reasons because it was yeah. the Olympics and because it was, yeah. you know, Beijing and it was COVID and everything. And then yeah, I think we sort of got the like craziness out of our system. And then in a couple of years, we can approach the Italian yeah. Olympics just kind of as a race. And I think that'll be really, a really special one. So that's something to definitely keep yeah. in my eye. Yeah. Well, you seem like you're you're doing well. It seems like you're really comfortable, and you're 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 reaching new heights. And it's really fun to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. You've got a team meeting coming up, but you know, I when somebody does what they just did the last two and a half months, month and a half, I, I think we we got to celebrate and talk about it. So I'm glad that you that we could we could dig into it a little bit more. And and I really appreciate you coming on today. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was it was my pleasure. And uh, yeah, thanks. Vermont plays a pivotal role in the story of men's cross-country skiing success in America. Of the Jimmy, Timmy, Simi, and Koki, only Dan Seminole wasn't a true Vermonter. Andy Newell is a Vermonter. Chris Freeman is from Concord, New Hampshire, about as close to being a Vermonter without actually being a Vermonter. So when I grew up Ben Ogden about being a Vermonter, I don't do it lightly or just offhand. I think there's something there. To break down barriers, something extraordinary has to transpire. On this podcast, we have immersed ourselves in the ways that Keegan and Jesse and Rosie Brennan and company have wound up with medals around their necks on the highest level of the sport. A winning culture is a factor. I can't imagine a better culture as a young boy to shoot for the highest level of cross-country ski racing than growing up and skiing on Bill Koch's own trails in rural Vermont. In my mind's eye, I can see the connection. Bill Koch playing on his skis in the spring in the hills, pastures, and forests of a rural Vermont around 1980, with a film crew capturing it all for Rosignol Ski Company. And then, fast forward nearly four decades, Ben Ogden doing similar things in that same part of the world as a kid, on those same trails and same pastures and same forests. My point is, greatness can rub off. Is it coincidence that Ben Ogden is having the best U.S. men's World Cup season in 41 years? 41 years ago, when Bill Koch won the overall title, I think not. I think the Norwegians know exactly what I'm implying, and that's why Ben Ogden is probably a bigger name right now in Oslo than in Montpelier. For now. That's threshold for this episode. I'm Chad Salmela. Thanks for listening.